Chapter 19 of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bunyip Land by George Manville Finn. Chapter 19 How We're Besieged, and I Thought of Burnham Wood. I believe the doctor saved us from dangerous wounds, if not from death, for, as he threw himself flat, half a dozen arrows struck the roof of our shelter and fell pattering down amongst us as we lay. Here, quick, pass these forward, the doctor whispered, and we managed to get the black's loads between us and the enemy, making of the packages a sort of breastwork which sheltered us while we hauled forward some pieces of stone arrow after arrow reaching this extempore paraport, or coming over it to strike the roof and fall back. The natives with us understood our plans at once and eagerly helped, pushing great pieces of stone up to us, so that in about a quarter of an hour we were well protected, and the question came uppermost in my mind whether it was not time to retaliate with a charge of shot upon the cowardly assailants who had attacked us when we were so peacefully engaged. We had time, too, now to look around us, and lament that our force was so much weakened by the absence of Jimmy and Aru, who had gone to fetch more water. They will be killed, I said, and I saw Tahai smile, for he had evidently understood my meaning. He shook his head, too, and tried to make me understand, as I found out afterwards, that Aru would take care of himself but we left off in a state of the greatest confusion. Being then well sheltered, we contrived loopholes to watch for our enemies, and Tai-Hai pointed out to me the place from whence the arrows were shot every time the enemy could see a hand. The spot he pointed to, as that in which our assailants lay, was where a patch of thick growth flourished among some stones about fifty yards along the rocky pass in the direction in which we had come, and as I was intently watching the place to make out some sign of the enemy, and feeling doubtful whether the black was right, I saw a slight movement and the glint of a flying arrow which struck the face of the rock a few feet above my head, then fell by Jack Penny's hand. Mind, I said, as he picked it up, perhaps it's poisoned. Tai-Hai was eagerly watching my face, and as I spoke, he caught the arrow from Jack's hand, placed it against his arm, then closed his eyes and pretended to be dead. But as quickly came to life again, as several more arrows struck the rock and fell harmlessly among us. These he gathered together, all but one, whose point was broken by coming in contact with the rock, and that he threw away. After this he carefully strung the bow that he always, like his fellows, carried and looked eagerly at the doctor, who was scanning the ground in front of us with his little double glass. I don't like the looks of things, my lads, he said in a low voice, and his countenance was very serious as he spoke. I intended for ours to be a peaceable mission, but it seems as if we are to be forced into war with two men absent. "'Shall we have to shoot em? said Jack Penny excitedly. "'I hope not,' said the doctor, "'for I should be sorry to shed the blood of the lowest savage. "'But we must fight in defense of our lives. "'We cannot afford to give those up, 
come what may. Tyhai fitted an arrow to the string of his short, strong bow, and was about to draw it, but the doctor laid his hand upon him and checked him, to the savage warrior's great disgust. No, said the doctor, not until we are obliged, and then I shall try what a charge of small shot will do. We were not long in finding out that it was absolutely necessary to defend ourselves with vigor, for the arrows began to fall thickly, thickly enough, indeed, to show us that there were more marksmen hidden among the trees than the size of the clump seemed to indicate from where we crouched. I was watching the patch of trees very intently when I heard a sharply indrawn inspiration of breath, and turning I saw the doctor pulling an arrow from the flannel tunic he wore. As doctors say, Joe, he whispered with a smile, three inches more to the right, and that would have been fatal. I don't know how I looked, but I felt pale, and winced a little while the doctor took my hand. The force of habit made me snatch it away, for I thought he was going to feel my pulse. I fancied for the moment that it must be to see whether I was nervous, and the blood flushed to my cheeks now, and made me look defiant. "'Why, Joe, my lad, what is it?' he said quietly. "'Won't you shake hands?' "'Oh, yes,' I cried, placing mine in his, and he gave it a long, firm grip. "'I ought,' he said, after a pause, "'to have said more about the troubles, like this one.' which I might have known would arise when we arranged to start. But somehow I had a sort of hope that we might make a peaceful journey and not be called upon to shed blood. Joe, my lad, we shall have to fight for our lives. And shoot down these people, I said huskily. If we do not, they will shoot us. Poor wretches, they probably do not know the power of our guns. We must give them the small shot first, and we may scare them off. Don't you fire, my lad. Leave it to me. I nodded my head, and then our attention was taken up by the arrows that kept flying in, with such good aim that if we had exposed ourselves in the least, the chances are that we should have been hit. The doctor was on one side of me, Jack Penny on the other, and my tall young friend, I noticed, had been laying some cartridges very methodically close to his hand, ready for action, it seemed to me. But he had not spoken much only looked very solemn as he lay upon his chest, kicking his legs up and sawing them slowly to and fro. "'Are we going to have to fight, Joe Carstairs?' he whispered. "'I'm afraid so,' I replied. "'Oh!' That was all for a few minutes, during which time the arrows kept coming in and striking the roof as before, to fall there with a tinkling sound, and be collected carefully by Tyhai and his companions, all of whom watched us with glowing eyes, waiting apparently for the order to be given when they might reply to the shots of the enemy. "'I say, Joe Carstairs,' said Jack, giving me a touch with his long arm. "'Yes, what is it?' I said peevishly, for his question seemed to be a nuisance. "'I don't look horribly frightened, do I?' "'No,' I said. "'You look cool enough. Why?' "'Because I feel in a horrid stew.' just as I did when a lot of the black fellows carried me off. I was a little one then. Were you ever a little one, Jack? I said wonderingly. Why, of course I was, a very little one. You don't suppose I was born with long legs like a colt, do you? 
The blacks came one day when father was away, and mother had gone to see after the cow, and after taking all the meal and bacon they went off, one of them tucking me under his arm, and I never made a sound. I was so frightened, for I was sure they were going to eat me. I feel something like I did then, but I say, Joe Carstairs, you're sure I don't show it? Sure, yes, I said quickly. If we have to shoot at these savages, shall you take aim at them? All depends, said Jack coolly. First of all, I shall fire in front of their bows like the man-o'-war's men do. If that don't stop em, I shall fire at their legs. And if that don't do any good, then I shall let em have it right full on, for it'll be their own fault. That's my principle, Joe Carstairs. If a fellow lets me alone, I never interfere with him. But if he begins at me, I'm nasty. Here, you leave those arrows alone, and, well, what's the matter with you? This was to Jip, who was whining uneasily as if he scented danger and wanted to run out. Down, Jip, down, said his master, and the dog crouched lower, growling, though, now as a fresh arrow flashed in from another part. The doctor started and raised his gun to take aim at the spot from whence this shot had come, for one of the savages had climbed up and reached a ledge above where we were. In fact, this man's attack made our position ten times more perilous than it was before. But the doctor did not fire, for Tai-Hai, without waiting for orders, drew an arrow to its head, the bowstring gave a loud twang, and the next instant we saw a savage bound from the ledge where he had hidden, and run across the intervening space, club in one hand, bow in the other, yelling furiously the while. The doctor was about to fire, and in the excitement of the moment I had my piece to my shoulder, but before he had come half-way the savage turned and staggered back, Tai-Hai pointing triumphantly to an arrow sticking deep in the muscles of the man's shoulder. There was a loud yelling as the wounded savage rejoined his companions, and our own men set up a triumphant shout. "'That's one to us,' said Jack Penny dryly. I think I shall keep the score. The doctor looked at me just at this time, and I looked back at him, and somehow I seemed to read in his eyes that he thought it would be the best plan to let the blacks fight out the battle with their bows and arrows, and I felt quite happy in my mind for the moment, since it seemed to me that we should get out of the difficulty of having to shed blood. But directly after I colored with shame, for it seemed cowardly to want to do such work by deputy, and to make these ignorant people fight our battle. While, after all, I was wrong, for the doctor was not thinking anything of the kind. In fact, he knew that we would all have to fight in defense of our lives, and when a flight of about twenty arrows came whizzing and pattering over our heads and hurtled down upon the stony floor, I knew it too, and began to grow cool with the courage of desperation and prepared for the worst. Here, Jack Penny, I whispered, you'll have to fight. The savages mean mischief. All right, he replied in a slow, cool, drawling way. I'm ready for them, but I don't know whether I can hit a man as he runs unless I try to make myself believe he's a kangaroo. 
The yelling was continued by our enemies, and as far as I could tell it seemed to me there must be at least thirty savages hiding amongst the rocks and trees, and all apparently thirsting for our blood. "'It seems hard, doctor,' I said bitterly. "'They might leave us alone.' "'I'm afraid they will think that they would have done better in leaving us,' said the doctor gloomily, "'for I don't mean them to win the day if I can help it. I could not help staring at the doctor. His face looked so stern and strange until, catching my eye, he smiled in his old way and held out his hand. "'We shall beat them off, Joe,' he said gently. "'I would have avoided it if I could, but it has become a work of necessity, and we must fight for our lives. Be careful,' he added sternly. "'It is no time for trifling. Remember your father, and the mother who is waiting for you at home.' Joe, my boy, it is a fight for life, and you must make every shot tell. For the moment I felt chilled with horror, and a sensation of dread seemed to paralyze me. Then came the reaction, and with the thought that if I did not act like a man I should never see those I loved again. This, too, was supplemented, as it were, by that spirit of what the French call camaraderie, that spirit which makes one forget self, and thinking that I had to defend my two companions from the enemy, I raised the barrel of my piece upon the low breastwork, ready to fire on the first enemy who should appear. Look, said Tyhai just then, for he was picking up scraps of our tongue, and following his pointing finger, I made out the black bodies of several savages creeping to posts of vantage from whence they would be able to shoot. "'Take care,' said the doctor sternly, as an arrow nearly grazed my ear. "'If one of those arrows gives ever so slight a wound, it may prove fatal, my lad. Don't expose yourself in the least.' "'Ah, the game must begin in earnest,' he said, partly under his breath. As he spoke, he took aim at a man who was climbing from rock to rock to gain the spot from which the other had been dislodged. Then there was a puff of white smoke, a roar that reverberated amongst the rocks, and the poor wretch seemed to drop out of sight. The doctor's face looked tight and drawn as he reloaded, and for a moment I felt horrified. But then, seeing a great brawny black fellow raise himself up to draw his bow and shoot at the part where Jack Penny was crouching, and each time seemed to send his arrow more close to my companion, I felt suddenly as if an angry wave were sweeping over my spirit and lay there scowling at the man. He rose up again, and there was a whiz and a crack that startled me. I say, drawled Jack Penny, mind what you're after. You'll hit someone directly. He said this with a strange solemnity of voice, and picking up the arrow he handed it to one of the blacks. That thing went right through my hair, Joe Carstairs, he continued. It's making me wild. I hesitated no longer, but as the great savage rose up once more, I took a quick aim and fired just as he was drawing his bow. The smoke obscured my sight for a few moments, during which there was a furious yelling, and then, just as the thin bluish vapor was clearing off, there was another puff and an echoing volley dying off in the distance, for Jack Penny had also fired. 
I don't know whether I hit him, he answered, but he was climbing up there like t'other chap was, and I can't see him now. In the excitement of the fight, the terrible dread of injuring a fellow creature now seemed to have entirely passed away, and I watched one savage stealing from bush to bush and from great stone to stone with an eagerness I could not have believed in till I found an opportunity of firing at him just as he too had reached a dangerous place and had sent his first arrow close to my side. I fired and missed him, and the savage shouted defiance as my bullet struck the stones and raised a puff of dust. The next moment he had replied with a well-directed arrow that made me wince it was so near my head. By this time I had reloaded and was taking aim again with feverish eagerness, when all at once a great stone crashed down from above and swept the savage from the ledge where he knelt. I looked on appalled as the man rolled headlong down in company with the mass of stone and then lay motionless in the bottom of the little valley. "'Who is it throwing stones?' drawled Jack slowly. "'That was a big one, and it hit.' "'That could not have been an accident,' said the doctor. "'Perhaps Aru is up there.' "'I only hope he is,' I cried. "'But look, look, what's that?' I caught at the doctor's arm to draw his attention to what seemed to be a great thickly tufted bush which was coming up the little valley toward us. "'Burnham Wood is coming to Dunsinane,' said the doctor loudly. "'Is it?' said Jack Penny excitedly. "'What for? Where? What do you mean?' "'Look, look!' I cried, and I pointed to the moving bush. "'Well, that's rum,' said Jack, rubbing his finger with his nose. "'Trees are alive, of course, but they can't walk, can they? "'I think there's someone shoving that along.' "'Why, of course there is,' I said.' "'Don't fire unless you're obliged,' exclaimed the doctor. "'And whatever you do, take care. "'See how the arrows are coming?' "'For they were pattering about us thickly, "'and the blacks on our side kept sending them back, "'but with what results we could not tell, "'for the savages kept closely within the cover. "'It was now drawing toward evening, "'and the sun seemed hotter than ever. "'The whole of the sultry ravine seemed to have become an oven,' of which our cavern shelter was the furnace. In fact, the heat was momentarily, from the sun's position and in spite of its being so long past the meridian, growing more and more intense. Jack Penny had, of late, grown very silent, but now and then he turned his face toward me with his mouth open, panting with heat and thirst as uneasily as his dog whose tongue was hanging out, looking white and dry. "'Is there any water there?' said the doctor suddenly, as he paused in the act of reloading. "'Not a drop,' I said, dismally. "'Oh, don't say that,' groaned Jack Penny. "'If I don't have some, I shall die.' "'It will be evening soon,' said the doctor in a husky voice, "'and this terrible heat will be over. "'Keep on firing when you have a chance, my lads,' But don't waste a shot. We must read them such a lesson that they will draw off and leave us alone. But as he spoke, so far from the loss they had sustained having damped the ardor of the enemy, they kept on sending in the arrows more thickly. But without doing us, thanks to our position and the breastwork, 
the slightest harm. The sun sank lower, but the rock where we were seemed to grow hotter, the air to be quivering all along the little valley, and as the terrible thirst increased, so did our tortures seem to multiply from the fact that we could hear the heavy, dull, thunderous murmur away to our right, and we knew that it was the cool, clear, delicious water, every drop of which would have given our dried-up mouths and parched throats relief. At one time I turned giddy, and the whole scene before me seemed to be spinning round, while my head throbbed with the pain I suffered, my tongue all the time feeling like a piece of dry leather which clung to the roof of my mouth. And still the firing was going steadily on, each sending a bullet straight to its mark, whenever opportunity occurred, but apparently without effect, for in the midst of all this firing, and the confusion of shouts from the enemy and defiant replies from our people, the arrows went to and fro as rapidly as ever. If it had not been for the sound of the falling water, I believe I could have borne the thirst far better. But no matter how the fighting went, there was always the soft, deep roar of the plashing water, tantalizing us with thoughts of its refreshing draughts and delicious coolness, when laving our fevered heads. I grew so giddy at times that I felt I should only waste my shot if I fired, and refrained, while gaining experience and growing bolder by degrees, the savages aimed so that every shot became dangerous, for they sent them straight at the mass of rock before us some ten or a dozen yards, and this they struck then glanced off so we were nearly hit three times running. Stones were set up at once upon our right as a protection, but this only saved us for a time. The savages had found out the way to touch us, and before many minutes had elapsed, ricochet shots were coming amongst us again. "'I can hardly see them,' Joe,' whispered the doctor suddenly. "'My eyes are dizzy with this awful thirst. We must have water if we're to live.' He ceased speaking to catch me by the arm and pointed to the bush that had been so long stationary in one place that I had forgotten it. "'What's that, my lad?' he whispered. "'Is that bush moving, or are my eyes playing me false? It must be on the move. It is some trick. Fire at once and stop it, or we shall be taken in the flank.' I raised my gun as I saw the bush moving slowly on towards us, now coming a yard or two, and then stopping, but I was so giddy and confused that I lowered it again, unable to take aim. This took place again and again, and at last I lay there scanning, as in a nightmare, the coming of that great green bush. The doctor was watching with bloodshot eyes the enemy on his own side. Jack Penny was busy on the other, and the command of this treacherous advancing enemy was left to my gun, which seemed now to have become of enormous weight when I tried to raise it and take aim. It's all a dream. It's fancy, I said to myself, as I tried to shade my eyes and steady my gaze. But as I said this, the bush once more began to glide on, and the dark patch I saw beneath it must, I felt, be the leg of the savage concealed behind. End of chapter 19 How We Were Besieged and I Thought of Burnham Wood